Hello. Welcome to our internet show. Please enjoy snacks responsibly. <laughs> Grant. Only there. It's like magic. It <laughs> magically just exists. I don't understand. What are you talking about? I wrote this. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's it's magic that clearly just works. Have you ever like jumped into the middle of a conversation between two people? You just jumped into the conversation that's happening in my head. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, um, hi, everyone. This is The Function Call. It's a show about programming. It's a show about friendship. Which one will it be today? Um, a little bit of both, hopefully. Oh, well, that's sweet and optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. I'm all yeah. right. Can yeah, I my, tell you? Mm, go ahead. My, my noisy neighbor upstairs is moving out, which is oh. like... Yeah, I saw that. It's exciting. Um, but also terrifying because maybe it gets worse now. Maybe, maybe it gets worse. <laughs> so I think with with neighbors next door or like if you have like an across the hall situation or whatever. Yeah. Those can be bad because, because you run into them. Like, like they're more present in your life i feel like the worst a neighbor upstairs or downstairs can be is noisy so you so like our garage is right next to each other and this particular noisy neighbor like let her kids five of them run around everywhere like and they're they're from like three to nine years old and so like there's just these kids running around constantly and like you know i like kids they should be able to go out have fun do whatever they want like that's fine but there's a like a a limit right that's reasonable and they they went beyond that limit with me so yeah yeah. did you start like putting stuff up near the roof that smelled really bad so that it would like waft up into their space and that's why they're moving out no no like i don't do anything vindictive like i don't no I'm I'm glad they're leaving. Uh, the The kids didn't bother me as much as like she has two like poodles, like full size poodles, hmm. and she lets them off leash. Like I have a fucking pit bull. Poodles can hold their own. Like they're not. Wait, Domino's a pit bull. Yes. I always picture Domino as a German Shepherd. She's a staffy. That's staffie. so funny. She's like a staffy mix. She's a pity. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. It was like so set in my mind no yeah <laughs> she's a, yeah she's definitely like a like a little bully okay but like i i can't imagine the level of just degaff it takes to have spent six months being told hey put your dog on leash like my dog is not going to be friendly with your dog and still just do it all the time like constantly my other neighbor has like a tiny, tiny uh, chihuahua that they just let out. And it's going to get picked up by a coyote or something one day. Like it's just going to get eaten. But it's terrified of Domino and Domino doesn't respond to it. So it bothers me slightly less. Because um, eventually that problem might just disappear someday. <laughs> it's, this is that's a problem terrible. that solves itself. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, terrible. Yeah. So they're going to be gone. But like my concern is... Who who's coming next? Because yeah. we've got at least a few more months here. If not, I mean, who knows when the market's going to turn around and we'll be able to move. I don't know. It could be worse. I, I think like noisy neighbors are noisy neighbors are pretty bad. I think you. I think uh, on the spectrum of like good to bad neighbors, you're probably the the probability is that you'll have a better neighbor. I think so too. I think the likelihood of getting a neighbor with this many kids and this many dogs um, is very, very low. Um, 
my my hope is that it's just like this elderly couple um who wants to have like some spare rooms for their grandkids when they come visit and you know they're just they're just real quiet and they need some help sometimes and i can help them out oh you want to you want to be the helping neighbor huh well i hey i i i will be super friendly to people who are not actively annoying the shit out of me it's hard to have that relationship with an upstairs neighbor we had that with our our old no like well we had that with a couple neighbors when we live in apartments like just helping people out it's nice it's fun community building you seem friendly you seem like a friendly neighbor i'm a good neighbor man I'm, I'm a good neighbor, good neighbor because I'm defensive of like our space and our neighborhood. Like I have a a, a paranoid streak, as you may have noticed. Mm. Uh, but but it extends to like we are allowed to be here. Other people are intruders and should be handled accordingly. Mm. Yeah, I don't feel that way. I welcome I welcome people into the neighborhood. Mm, that might be a mistake. <laughs> Uh, I want to tell you about my week or like the kind of stuff I've been working on lately. What's the deal? So we had kind of an interesting request at work. We take in like prospective clients. We create quotes for them and uh, we have a CRM billing software or whatever that can generate invoices or quotes or whatever. Uh, and it gets the work done, but it doesn't look particularly beautiful. And then we also have a a certain point in our life cycle, uh, a client life cycle where we have the result of our work, which is a lot of, you know, analysis, like data result. And we want to present that to a, a client. And so in both cases, what the, what the sort of admin team or client services team does is we use uh, Google Slides to create those reports because with Google Slides we can we have a lot of flexibility over uh, styling and making them look nice and then we can just kind of copy and paste the data over. Well copying and pasting doesn't work well as your company starts to grow and you have like scalability issues you know Uh, and also the fact that you know, we have one like quote unquote master template for some handoff like results stuff, but no one uses that because they just copy from the previous slide and make the changes. Super error prone. So the solution obviously is to like use code to automate that. Uh, But one of the problems with automating it is you have to work with like very strict templates and have very few variables or logic to work with, right? Otherwise you end up blowing up this little request to automate some things into this, you know, all of a sudden you're recreating Google Slides and I don't want to do that. So the solution that I came up with and that I've been working on that's kind of interesting is uh, we're actually using two of the Google APIs One is the Google Drive API, and one is the Google Slides API. And what we're doing is taking this template uh, from Google Drive, this like, or a slides, you know, template that someone can, like that looks like a sexy report that just has to like, like swap out whoever, like the date that it was published or the client's name or whatever. And then- In what universe are reports sexy? Oh, it's a sexy report, man. All right. You I got, mean, you got weird feelings. Well, you know, like it's data. a, it's a, it's a nicely designed, our brand, very sort of report. And so, uh, yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm basically taking the Google Drive API, uh, making an authorized request. So as long as someone on our admin team signs it, like logs into Google Drive, uh, they can make a copy of this one template. And then I'm using the slides API to do a search and replace for certain strings. So I can put the date in the right place. I can put the client name in the right place. We can put some data in the right place. And then that outputs its own copy of 
like a, a new Google slide presentation. And the cool thing there is it maintains all of the flexibility of, uh, of a Google slide presentation. So the output, like you can go and customize it from that point. It also maintains a super flexible input, like the template can be customized by a non-developer. So we're not dealing with, you know, hard-coded templates that if we need to make a change, like someone's got to tap on my shoulder and I implement. And it's just sweet. I was just, I'm really proud of the, the process of thinking it through and, and so far executing a little proof of concept. That seems pretty cool. I, I always, like anytime I hear somebody say, oh yeah, and a non-developer can do this. Like the amount of bulletproofing it takes to ensure that uh, they're not going to break it. Um, like uh, allowing non-technical people to enter in at multiple like possible points of failure is always such a scary thing to start setting up. It is, but you know what the cool thing is here is that the input is very familiar. If you know how to use Google Slides, you can you can change the template all you want. I think the only like scary thing is if if is if the the person messing with the template changes the variable like the variable name configuration because right, right now right. right yeah like okay so there is there is like a point of failure there so right this, now, this reminds me of like one of the one of the first jobs i ever had in in this industry um i was working on a system that did something similar but it was using like a word document right mm-hmm. and the, the, it did the same thing um and they were like oh it breaks here here and here and it's like this c-sharp uh, back end like pulls all this data in and like crunches it through this word doc and spits out PDFs. Um, and it was like, you know, it, it's like an actual professional, like it was a medical reporting feature. So it was like kind of important. <laughs> it was just like this spaghetti code thing. Um, I remember looking at that like, hey, is this how everything works? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, everything this is, is how just everything duct works. Taped together. <laughs> You know, you duct tape it together behind the scenes, slap a nice cover on it. No one's yeah. going to know. Yeah. I mean, spe- speaking of duct taping stuff together, I mean, that's that's the whole show that we're going to do today. Yeah, yeah. Is, what are we talking about? Really, like, digging into what what tools can we duct tape together to make the dev experience, and I'm putting, like, big sarcastic air quotes uh, out there, uh, better. Um, so anybody who listens to the show or has, uh, known me in any aspect knows I'm, I'm a pretty big, pretty big fan of TypeScript. I like TypeScript. I think it's, I think it's good. Um, and I think it's a good direction for development in general for, for lots and lots of reasons. Um, but I agree there are lots and lots of reasons to hate it and they're valid, right? Like there's, there's boilerplate there's like just this uh learning curve that's kind of steep and continues to get like it is kind of like an exponentially rabbit hole like learning curve if you want to dig into types um like if you look at how some libraries are typed um they become very complex very quickly um yeah just building lots and lots of types but like we're going to be talking about type checking. And so TypeScript is one way to do type checking. There used to be stuff called Flow. I forget, I think there was like another one that did like compile time type checking as well. But those have kind of... Reason. Is it Reason? Okay. Reason was one, yeah. Okay. Rescript is one that uh, got on my radar recently. It looks pretty cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, so TypeScript is from our friends at Microsoft. Um, whoop, whoop. And to to be totally fair to them, like they've done a very very good job uh, with this. If they've lost Angular, um, they have definitely got a winner with TypeScript. So anyway, TypeScript does what's called runtime type checking. Do you want to no. describe what runtime does? Or no no what well, yeah I'm um, okay no I TypeScript does what's called. Let's edit this. <laughs> <laughs> Kato. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think it's funnier if we leave that in. No, TypeScript does does what's called compile time type checking, um, which you may be thinking like, oh man, JavaScript is not a compiled language. 
um, if if that's what you think, you're probably not writing like heavily modern JavaScript. Um, like most JavaScript applications that are are written nowadays need to be compiled or transpiled, and we can get pedantic about the differences between those some other time. Um, but at we're not that get, time, we're not going to get into that some other time. Let's be honest. Oh, we should have had that on our like pedantic opinions. Like, what do you think transpiled means versus compiled? Well, oh man. Well, definition what they mean, but anyway, actually. All right, so <laughs> runtime, compile time. So run to, so uh, compile time checking does yes. a really good job of like if in your code you are feeding a function a string when it requires a number in your code then uh typescript typescript can catch it um yeah and it like blows up and yells at you right if it's like yeah and it's like it will like not compile, compile code. Yeah. and it gives you an error okay here's one of the most valid complaints about typescript that really really bothers me is the errors are the errors mostly useless are really bad yeah they're they're like horrifically bad so uh this is what happens so your application doesn't compile but once it compiles you're like okay it's good all the type checking is is good and i'm not doing anything stupid now here's the thing you may not be doing something stupid but applications live in the wild they live out on the internet um, and they typically connect to other services in order to make them useful right like your user input yeah, like there's there's stuff coming from an API. Well, we have some control over user input, right? Like everything in the everything that comes from the DOM is a string. Um, so I have a little bit less concern over that, um, mm, though that is a valid concern, right? If we need to ensure that something is a number um, before we send it to an API, I mean there there are, there are DOM ways to to enforce that. But anyway, um, dealing with other services really is where you start to get like you're just rolling the dice have you ever had a like a like a rest api update and it's it's like it's sending you a totally different uh data shape or they've deprecated something and uh they they forgot to like update their version or whatever on the endpoint um this can like wreak havoc and like break applications yeah um so th- this is something that became very important uh, on the application that we're working on because in parallel, we are building the front end and back end. Um, and so the back end is going through massive changes while the front end is implementing against um, whatever like proposed data structure we had in place uh, last sprint, right? Okay, so you're not even talking about disparate services like talking to an api that's like from third party you're talking about even just communicating between your internal front end and your internal back end that things change because shit happens and life moves on right right exactly and you know this style of development is really common i don't you know no one's to blame here but we had things breaking a lot Mm -hmm. um for reasons that we didn't quite understand and seeing undefined printed out in your application doesn't give you a whole lot of information as to like where that came from or you know where some reference error happened um and we were using typescript and we're like well hey um th- this is probably a good use case and so like th- this was not initially my idea uh this was proposed by a developer that I work with uh this is the guy that brought me into the company and so uh he said, hey, you know what, we should check out runtime type checking. And I had just yeah. done the TypeScript conversion on our, on our uh, code base. And I'm like, dude, that was a big, heavy lift. What are you talking about? My instinct is to say absolutely not. Like, this is a drastic change on top of a drastic change. Right. So, so basically what you're getting at is you have implemented some changes on the build tooling that introduces TypeScript that says... Uh, when any time like this function is called, we know that it expects to receive a number. And TypeScript is smart enough that if you call that that function from anywhere within your sort of code base, uh, 
and you have some way to get introspection into how that function is being used, it, TypeScript can say, yes, this is being called with a number, or if it's not being called with a number, it can throw up, you know, throw its hands in the air and be like, whoa, 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 buddy, like slow down. Right. But where that kind of uh, falls by the wayside is once you have a successfully compiling code base, uh, but you have functions that still depend on certain things being numbers, but at runtime, like you don't know at compile time how it's going to be implemented. And so at runtime, it may receive a number, it may receive a string. Is that right? Right. Because the data that is flowing through our application, like, so one of our goals, and I, and I think a good goal for any front end is to be a pretty dumb render layer, which sounds like, oh, well, that's just lazy. Like that's, you're just going to render what comes from the back end. But in order to make that actually work, in order to make the front end completely ephemeral and basically just um, render whatever comes back from specific requests, um, you you actually need to do quite a lot of work and quite a lot of safety checking too um, to, to ensure that structures are exactly what you expect them to be. And so some like rudimentary safety checking or type checking could be to take that same function example that we have that re requires the input to be a number and we say uh you know let's say the parameter is in uh, input right mm -hmm. and we say if uh type of input does not double equals the string number we can bail early and just like right or throw right. an error if you want right but, yeah there was a problem loading this component right please contact grant or like 1-800 number or whatever I don't know. Yeah. Got Still got to so sell that, stuff, right? Yeah. So that's like naive, rudimentary client side type checking. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we, we were doing a lot of that and we were building a lot of like um, a lot of types that, that we expected to get uh, as a result from our, our GraphQL queries and mutations. And so we're starting to see this structure on the front end and, and initially during the uh, the TypeScript conversion, I had used um, like the result of an introspection query for the GraphQL API to start building our types that were expected. Um, that becomes very problematic when those types are changing pretty often. And also, if anyone's ever seen the result of an introspection query and the way that types come back from a GraphQL API, they're rough. Like they're quite rough. Um, well, they're designed for machine readability right 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 and and to to be fair like the the result of that was usable um but essentially we we started to run into problems that typescript wasn't solving for us um but we like typescript and so we don't want to like just throw that away um but what we needed to do was start interviewing ways to expand the use of these types and so we looked at a couple of different packages, right? And when you're inspecting a package, um, you need to look for a few different things. Um, one is always ease of use. Um, my 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 big concern about a package so, is how easy is it to use? Well, you also got to be concerned with the size, right? Like, the size so of the package to me doesn't really matter. Some people are kind of size queens. <laughs> How much time did you spend inspecting, you know, other people's packages? Uh, it was really only between two packages, um, yeah. so it was a it was a quick inspection. Um, but there, so there are basically two players in this field. One is is a package called Runtypes, which we ended up using, and the other is a package called IOTS, uh, which also requires FPTS. Um, so I just got fed up with the acronyms and said no. Uh, um, actually, the, the, the use case and usability um, of IOTS just didn't really match uh, with the amount of effort we wanted to pour into this. It seems really useful. A lot of people like it, um, but we didn't want to build around it. It just was not attractive. So we looked into run types, and it looked like the requirement that we would have to meet for run types was basically just to rewrite all of our types, which we needed to do anyway. Um, 
like the the type structures were very uh were too closely tied to um that that introspection query that i had initially built from so we decided okay, run so, types is the way to go okay so hmm. you basically have this library now it's like you, you you're telling me that you have um typescript types that work yes. great for compile time and yeah. your team wanted to enforce that let's say an object that came in matched the same shape as the type definition yeah right so how does how does maybe you were going there anyway but how does a runtime library take a typescript type definition and convert that to like runtime code is so that what it's this doing is, is it? well this is one of the problems with with doing this type of checking right so we were unaware initially uh that we were going to need this and so we had we had kind of built all of our types in TypeScript. What run types specifically requires is that you build your types in Java their script. in their type, right? So gotcha. they have a library, and then they provide the type for you, right? And so you you then go and convert their types into static types. So you create what are called dynamic types in run types, okay? And you then basically. Uh, like we have a whole gigantic like 800 line file just converting all of these dynamic types into static types um which sounds really crazy but it's only built up to be that big um through lots and lots of work um that didn't help did it <laughs> <laughs> well now i'm wondering okay so if you have like a, a monolithic application where you have some shared code between front end and back end, this kind of makes sense to me. Oh yeah, uh, big time. And I'm wondering also if there's a difference, uh, if there's a different like client side runtime type checking and a different uh, server side runtime check. Uh, so, so like validation, because this... I think there is a little bit of difference there, right? So this Sometimes. this is definitely usable in a node environment as as well as in the client um okay. this is this is something that you could totally do that with um we have had lots and lots of discussion around having a shared type library um specifically the dynamic types um which which would be really really good uh we're, yeah we're in the process of building uh like a graphql aggregation layer uh which we're having to do manually instead of using like some of that dope federation goodness um well, yeah, because that, that's actually what's going to be my next question is like now you have, uh, let's say, one project folder that has front-end folder and back-end folder, and then in the root you have like the shared shared code. And in okay. this shared code you have these type definitions that are not technically TypeScript types. They are like runtime types mm -hmm. that also provide TypeScript type definitions, um, which are shared from the front-end and the back-end. But then you're telling me you also have this GraphQL layer, which is a strongly typed system. Mm -hmm. And some people bridge the gap between TypeScript and GraphQL, but it's not one-to-one. -one. Right, no. So you need some sort of translation. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't take run types and assert them as schema. Right. Until somebody writes that, and then you can, and then I love them. Thank you, future human. Uh, really, like just doing some good work there. That that would be amazing, and I actually think that there's some plausibility around that. But you'd have to write your run types in like a very specific way, and then you wouldn't be able to write um, any of the mutation or resolver stuff with them. That would have to. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, let's not get super hung up there. So. Okay. Okay. So what's next? So. We have to rewrite all of our types uh, using this. And, and essentially what we found was like we were able to construct um, our types in a, in a little bit of a simpler way. Um, and it, it enforced some patterns um, that, that we like. And so we eventually did this. And then now we have to figure out, all right, so we've got dynamic types. We're not consuming them anywhere. We're not using them anywhere. We're just converting them to static types and using them exactly how they were used 
across our application, right? So they, they work in TypeScript now. Okay. Check. We're using Apollo client. Um, and Apollo client has these really cool hooks for React. Um, use mutation, use query, and use lazy query, right? So these allow you to uh, either make a query when a component renders so that as soon as the data is available, you know, boom, it just shows up, uh, or allows you to like on demand uh, make a query or mutation. Um, that's, it, it's, it's a request library. It's all it's doing. It's just making a request and then when the data shows up, boom, you've got it. Um, what we wrote is essentially a wrapper that instead of just giving you the data back or the error back or whatever, before it does any of that, um, when the request comes in, we, we feed this wrapped hook the dynamic type. And so since it can take this dynamic type and run a validate function from this type, which comes as part of the library, we can know for sure whether or not the data structure that comes back from that request matches what we expect. Okay, I think I got that. So okay. the hook is gonna provide you with a validate function that you can call against anything. So and, the hook, yeah. And that validate function is like a, it's like a closure that knows what it should match Right, like, and so like what what is good input and what is bad input? Right, right. So okay. you feed you feed this hook, um, not so instead of it just getting like a, a query and some variables and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, you now feed it the query, the variables, and the expected types. And okay. so it knows what types are expected, and so it it increases the footprint a little bit uh, in in use. And so, you know, there's there's this drawback of instead of, you know, this use query call that, you know, could be two lines if it's very, very simple, right? You import your query, you feed it to use query, you get your data out of it. It's very easy. It's, it, it's now grown to, all right, I need uh, my query, I need my type, I need um, uh, just it it starts to grow a bit okay. uh, when you when you have to make these assertions. But uh, I think the pattern that we came up with um, does a pretty good job of giving you some value. And so what what we what we found in running this is that in our our staging environment that uh, tests, you know, but before we go to production with any changes. Uh, when there are breaking changes that happen on the back end that we maybe haven't caught at an earlier like development environment, um, some incompatibility where we no longer have, you know, this string coming back or this, you know, link object coming back from the back end on a specific request, instead of the application breaking and us not really knowing, we're just like seeing undefined, we get a very specific, this is the request, this is the expected shape. This is the shape that we got. Here is a diff of that shape. This is the specific key that you know we expected to see this shape from, and it was not that shape, mm. right? And so it gives us this like incredible amount of insight into like how did this fail? It failed this way, and because mm. we have like this really strong contract with the backend through GraphQL, like. The, as as long as they're not modifying their types on the back end, which you know, sometimes is necessary, and you know we we make those changes, um, but as long as they're not doing anything crazy, like we don't get these errors. Um, and honestly, over this last, we're we're in the middle of like a like a progressive rollout right now. These are not the kinds of errors that we're running into um, because we've. Uh, We've had this in place for about a year, and this is something that has kind of enforced the way that we work together. Um, in that, you know, this contract is important. Yeah. So, I guess my uh, my pushback on this 
is mm. I would like to know uh, what sort of cost this comes at for the client, right? Because like really you could just say, just write better code. Don't make those mistakes, right? Because it sounds a little bit like it's a, a developer experience thing that the the user ends up eating a cost of having this overhead of validation library, which doesn't even validate like that the user is inputting something. It's just that you guys didn't mess something up. Does that make sense? No. No. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so like, so like, I, I get, <laughs> right. I get that you're like, oh, well, you know, this is, this is uh, right. Like if you're, work if that's you're, happening on the client. Um, well, you're basically making sure you're saying, hey, I want to make sure that they did the data that I get back from my other, my team on the other end, my back end team matches mm-hmm. what I expect on the front end. So and, when one of our performance passes, I, I, this, this will kind of answer your question, right? Okay. So one of our performance passes, which like I'm a, I'm a stickler for perf. I don't perf. want this, you know, in production. Um, my, my thinking is like, why don't we compile away all of this? Like if yeah. we're in production, we, we no longer make this assertion, right? Yeah. Or you um, do it in like a staging environment, right? Right, right, right. Environment dependent. So I ran lots of back to back performance tests and there was mm-hmm. no discernible difference. Like this okay. isn't, this isn't heavy enough to, um, to make any difference on the client. Otherwise we, we would conditionally make this assertion. Um, the, right. the problem with doing that is if, uh, by chance an out of date backend is shipped, we need to know what specific mutations and queries, uh, it's affecting. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if they ship some breaking change, uh, this, this allows us to very quickly tell them, Hey, this is, this is the problem instead yeah. of making that request. Cause like, listen, if, if we were dealing with like a couple of requests or, you know, the, if we were dealing with small surface area stuff, yeah, yeah. like it, this really wouldn't be a problem, but the surface area of a, a lot of these requests is quite large. And so digging through and trying to like, di- like, have you ever tried to diff JSON that's thousands of lines long? <laughs> like, come on, it's crazy. Absolutely not. But doing this in, in, you know, a, a library, honestly, like it, it, if you thought about this, like you could probably write a library that, that asserts that specific keys at, at different levels exist. And if they don't, you know, throw like you, right. Well, if, if you thought where, about it, you could probably do that, right? Yeah. That's all this is doing. Yeah. Yeah, and if you have it like recursive, then it's mm-hmm. not even that big of a, you know. Exactly. You start. You start on one hand, like, hey, I've got this expected type, so I I know exactly what tree to traverse, mm-hmm. and if that tree looks different from this tree, throw. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. Interesting. It sounds good. So having gone through that, it sounds like you're on the tail end of implementing all those wild runtime type checking. Yeah. So this is, this has been in place for, like I said, like about a year. So like I initially came on did the TypeScript conversion and then immediately after this, uh, it was, let's do runtime type checking. And as soon as I got over my, like, why would we do this? Uh, immediately I was blessed with like, uh, this this is actually incredibly useful and saves tons of time. Um, like in our specific use case, right? Like this isn't yeah, yeah. something that everybody needs to implement, but it is something that I think is really interesting that I haven't heard anybody talk about. Um, okay. So would you do it again? Depending on the application, absolutely. Uh, are we implementing it in all of our applications going forward? Yes. We have uh, published an internal library to handle this. Absolutely, we're going to be doing this on the the clients for all of our consuming applications. Cool, that's interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> kind of like along the the lines of of client side runtime. I mean, I guess we could say it's type checking or just like validation. There they're related they're not the same right um well 
Oh, are yes. they not the same? Uh, they, uh, they're not the same. Type checking is that A equals, type of A is string. Type checking mm-hmm. is not necessarily A is greater than B. Okay. Right. right. Like, yes. like if I wanted we, to do... Yeah. Yeah, I we're, ensure, we're only sure that, yeah, yeah, we're we're only tech checking for shapes and types. That's it. Right. Um, so yeah, we we don't do any type of validation uh, on these. Um, that those limits as far as when we get an int from wherever, uh, like what what range that int should be in, like we're completely oblivious to. Yeah. So that type of validation is is. Is something I don't think I'd be very interested in doing. That's somebody else's responsibility. Nope, nope, don't want to do it. Yeah. So, so you wouldn't get as far as like floats, or is it is is it sophisticated to say like it's not just a number, it's an int. Or well, everything that comes float. back in. So everything that comes back from this API in JSON would be a string, as far as I understand it. Okay. Well, not everyone is going to be working with your API, right? Like, let's we're talking about something that might be valuable to people that are listening. Um, or is this actually, just, just so I'd, I'd I'd have to look if there are scenarios where we're actually getting a a number. Um, float specifically would still resolve to a number in JavaScript because like we don't have a concept of right. But what I'm saying time. is what I'm saying is if I wanted some if I wanted to ensure that something is an integer versus a float, mm-hmm. uh, TypeScript you can't do that with TypeScript. No. Okay. So therefore, is is it does it have the same limitations that TypeScript has? Yes. Okay. As as far as I understand it, yes. And okay. those those to me are are like very very acceptable. Um, yeah. In some cases, like uh, like my 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 opinion is that runtime validation is a lot of the times is pointless. Like it's not necessary. Because if you need to validate, like the, the, the place where validation matters is on the server side if you're if you're sending data to a server. Unless you have a unless you have a an application that's client side only or something along those lines, or you or you're you know sending information to a server that you don't control or a service, in which case it's not your responsibility. Wait, wait, um, do we do you do you hear that? Do you hear that rumbling? <laughs> the earth is shaking. We agree on this. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a strong like, agree. Yeah, that that type of validation like doesn't yeah. really have a place and, on the client. And me, like I I don't like to add a lot of overhead unnecessary things, right? So it's like if I can now I, I think that there's a difference in in you checking the types to inf- ensure that what you expect to get back from your service is what you get back. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about validation, which is usually something around user input. Um, those are two right. different use cases or needs, right? But well, for yeah. like validation stuff, yeah, I like to stick with what the browser provides for the native HTML validation inputs. Um, for server-side validation stuff, I really like this library called Yup. Um, yep. Where you can basically, like you can enforce things like an object, the shape of the object, and also uh, if it's a number that is an integer that is between, you know, one and five, if you can get as far as like dates that are before or after a certain date, it's pretty cool. And it supports TypeScript, so like you can build up your schema and then get the type or infer the type from that object. I mean, real engineers just write regex. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. That's that's super sarcastic. If you couldn't pick that up, um, incredibly sarcastic. If you start writing regex to validate stuff, you're probably gonna like. There's there's gonna be problems. Yeah, essentially. I, I, I would I would write a regex for an input, a client side input. In some cases, I would, but like HTML has so many good, like specifically around validation. Like you can do min and max. You can you can make specific assertions, and unless you really need, like, to match, well, some... like a password, like a password field. 
Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. Yes. Like, must be minimum number of characters. There's upper, a min. Lowercase. There's whatever. a min for the input. Like, I would, I would leave yeah. as much out of the regex as I could. I, I mean, I, I totally would. I, yeah, same here. <laughs> but, but my, my point being that, like, mm-hmm. uh, I would feel comfortable putting a regex on the front end that because the front end is not super important for validation stuff. I would use a library for everything else on the back end. Yeah, I would not definitely. trust myself to write a regex for the back end. Yeah, I hear a lot of people love. Yep, like they're very into yep it. Is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Strong recommend. So that uh, I mean, the, 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 you know, this isn't for everybody, but this was my little adventure uh, down into the into uh, runtime type checking, and and our goal really, um, depending on how this next couple of quarters goes, is is to release these as like open source packages. Like that's my goal is to get this stuff out into the hands of people so that they can use it and see that it's it's powerful and it's it, you know it may be something that they only use in in you know development and stage it may be yeah. something where it's really useful for us to like put some sort of uh flag so it doesn't get compiled into their their production app who knows yeah it, it sounds pretty cool like I, I can definitely see the benefit and and you know i'm playing devil's advocate and asking prodding questions because i don't know well, here's but... one you missed right yeah so, yeah hit me hit me hit me with the downsides what if a non-critical piece of information is missing from a request something that the application would render without this wouldn't you have like typescript uh optional properties oh like uh build it into the type like this is string or null or string or undefined yeah or just the little like question mark one um, so in run types, you have to be very, you, have, you, you can't, we don't write TypeScript types. We write run type yeah. types. And so, yeah, that makes sense. It has to be string or null or undefined, which is essentially what the question mark colon operator right. does. Um, it allows you to have it undefined, which allows it to be like completely missing. Um, so yes, you can do that. Um, and in some cases we like to, but we also like to be as strict as possible. So if for some reason some required property is missing that we would be able to live without, we're throwing and mm, we're crat. The whole we're, application blows up. Well, yeah, like it it throws a toast message saying that you know there was there was this error. Um, now, hopefully, uh, this is something that doesn't happen in production. I mean, we we log it and we haven't seen any in production yet, um, but it's something that. You know that that is a possible very good argument against doing this in production. Um, however, the other side of that is if there is some miscommunication where uh, specific disclosures that need to be agreed to do not come through, and we don't have an agreement on that, we have some legal liability in this now, right? Or if information mm-hmm. is not presented in a specific way, um, so there there are concerns both ways, and so I err on the side of um, and this this is something that uh, I I've taken to heart from Stuart uh, Stuart Runyon who you know, um, yeah let it crash. It should be broken if it's broken. Hmm. Like that's that's something that terrified me, um, and you know in specific scenarios is still kind of scary, but if it's broken let it break, right? Yeah. It gives us an opportunity to fix it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, I think that, um, again, you know, you're talking about a very specific runtime type checking or validation sort of library that you're working on. Um, mm-hmm. But I think even if you're writing functions and you want to do some type checking or I'm just going to throw out this other term that you may have heard of, duck typing. You ever heard of duck typing? Please explain to me what... Okay. You know, so r- du- duck typing... Type? Duck is it the type of type is, checking that you do where you like are writing the JS doc stuff? Is that called duck typing? No, that's just TypeScript, man. That's Okay. No, that's not runtime. That's still <laughs> compile time. But Wait, uh, du- Oh, du- duck typing duck type. is com- is runtime? Duck typing is runtime. Yeah. 
So duck typing is uh, you have to pass the duck test. If it looks like a duck and it sounds like a duck, then it's a duck. So uh, the way that you do this is like, let's say you have an object, right? And uh -huh. you want to say if object has name and object has username and object has email, let's assume that it's a full user object that might have other things or not. And you can just like treat it as such, right? Or uh, if you have a function that expects a user object and you're like, if uh, user dot ID is missing or the username is missing or whatever, you can bail early. And that's kind of like right. duck type. Yeah. You, you basically describe in your type checks the way that you expect the object to be. And if it, if it matches certain criteria, you assume it's one of these objects without necessarily checking the entire thing. Dude, you know what's um, made that super easy? And, what? and what's made it what's made it very uh, transparent and a lot Let of people guess. probably do exactly that and don't even know they're doing it the optional chaining yeah 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 <laughs> that was great I love was... the optional chaining it, that that thing honestly like oh it's worth it's worth its weight in gold <laughs> it really really is oh, it's a beautiful uh, thing it is um so man we are some hot javascript nerds talking about <laughs> optional chaining oh i'm getting all misty just thinking yeah. about that optional chaining operator uh okay so my point my, my point being that like tell me your point some of these things if you add these checks to your code uh it may feel like your code is more resilient but at the end of the day you're kind of adding more overhead which is something you know on a, on a single function, it's not going to be a big deal, but over an entire application, it's going to add to your bundle. It's going to be something that your user ends up paying the cost for something that like, if you're just trying to avoid the application crashing by doing all of these type checks, you can actually write yourself into a corner where you're checking for certain errors and you're trying to catch them and handle them. And as a result, your application still doesn't work. But you've you've caught the errors, but the application still doesn't work. Like, it's pointless. You've, you've added more code. It feels very more familiar. Yeah, you've added more code and more complexity just to, to avoid the application from, like, erroring out. And as a result, you don't have errors, but your application is useless. Would right? that be like you've ducked? taped yourself into a corner uh, that's you know what it was close it's not on your like level you but going. it was uh, you, I like you see going. where i was going yeah, okay. yeah duct tape it's good it's good yeah um yeah, yeah that feels so. that feels like very very familiar and like i i can definitely see that so yeah our so that, our kind of wrapper um because it's seamless and very specific and very intentional um, I haven't seen any results like that from, from that specific wrapper, but definitely like doing deep checks using optional chaining, um, and like throwing based on like what's there has, has created like huge problems in, in previous projects. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough at some point. Like there's a balance between handling errors gracefully and just letting the application blow up. And I haven't figured it out, but maybe next if show. anybody has answers uh get at us on yeah. the tweets or i don't know what yeah. is it stegosource.com yeah uh, i got i got rebranded man austingill.com oh sorry whoa <laughs> uh <laughs> okay. cool i think uh you got anything else you want to any closing thoughts on this or closing thoughts closing thoughts um, on I'd, so I'd, I'd really like to have uh, at at some point if we do open source this, um, how, we we can spend some time like a little walkthrough of using this library because it's yeah that'd uh, be cool. It it would be really cool, but uh, you know it's big corporation says no. Like I, I feel like I can talk about all of this and not get in any trouble because uh, it's like we were saying. No in the one listens to our show anyway. Well, no one listens to our show. It's very low risk. Um, <laughs> but also, it's like like we were saying at the beginning of the show, like you know how how many lines of code are you just gonna like string all these different libraries together, right? Yeah. Like everything works that way. Like this is essentially 
uh, a highbrow equivalent, like it's the TypeScript equivalent of that Word doc template that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Like, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Non-technical people probably shouldn't try and change this. Yeah, you need Please to get Sally from accounting trying to change your TypeScript, putting in pull requests to change your. Yeah, that seems bad. Anyway. All right, let's wrap up the show uh, with uh, the section that we like to call shout-outs, where we show some love for uh, whatever. I'm proposing a new section right now. Okay, hit me. Have you seen a cute dog? Dude, every that's... time I go out into the living room. <laughs> well, no, that's the entire section. Dog? You want a cute dog? Instagram.com slash Nugget the Mighty. Nugget the Mighty. Dude, that's such yeah. a good name. That's <laughs> such a good name. Yeah, Domino has an Instagram too. I think it's Domino G Doggo, and you can see that she's yeah. not. Uh, uh, what did you think she was? Um, I, I, I mean, not necessarily German Shepherd, but something in the sort of shape of a German Shepherd. She was shaped like a German Shepherd. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, it was the bark or something. I don't know. She has hip dysplasia, like that, kind of makes her German Shepherdy. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. No, no. We should definitely. So, like every episode, we need to throw in like the cutest dog that you've seen and you can always have nugget be your cutest dog that's fine dude have you seen have you seen uh oh Domino's Domino. <laughs> making a statement have you seen uh the twitter account we rate dogs no oh that's great you should check it out shout out to okay. we, rate, we rate we rate dogs we rate dog that sounds mm-hmm. so like are they judgmental or are they always nice is it no, always... it's always great. Like they're all okay, like cool. all the dogs are like twelve out of ten, fourteen out of ten. Cool, cool, cool. Good, yeah. good, good. Check it out. As as dogs should be, we rate dogs. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, right. we, we just need to touch on that every episode. All right. Uh, shout outs. You got a shout out? I got a shout out. Uh, I'm gonna shout out uh, Smart Audiobooks. It's a it's an app. Yeah, smart audiobooks. So it's an audiobook app that um, I like because I like to download audiobook files and then I'll just like have them for offline for like road trips or camping or whatever. And this one is good because one, uh, you can you can point it at any folder on your device and it like just treats that as an audiobook. Two, it keeps track of how far along you've been listening, even if you like close it or restart your phone or whatever. It'll start you from where you left off. And it, it'll even like start you, it'll like rewind a little bit so that you can kind of remember what you just, like where you were, and then it goes on. So are these and, like uh, bookmarks? Yeah, sure. It bookmarks. I don't remember all the features, but those are the only two that I really need, and it works great. I like it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, you can like backtrack in time too. You got a shout out? Okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, are you into hip hop at all? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Like have you music. have you ever heard of uh, Ski Mask Slump Slump God? No. You ever heard of Lil Lil Nar? No. Okay. Uh, uh, so I guess I'm I guess I'm not into hip hop. So Ski Mask, so like I love 90s hip hop. I love like the absolute foundation and classics, um, which I, look, if you're a real hip hop fan, yes, it goes back to the 80s. Yes, it technically goes back to disco if you're like that much of a nerd, whatever. Um, however, modern hip hop, honestly, like it's gotten good again. It was bad for a while. It's gotten good again. And the Ski Mask dude, oh, yeah, he, he, uh, I'm impressed. And so, like, uh, Lil Nar has a new track that features Ski Mask, the Slump God. Uh, yeah, man. Put a uh, new put Bugatti. Your, let's throw that track on the on the show notes and uh, I'll give it a listen. I'm not sure it's uh, appropriate for anything. All right, cool. Well, with that, um, that's the show. Thanks for diving into that, Grant. I think uh, we've talked about it. Uh, on our own a couple of times but never in yeah. depth so I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to, to jump into it because I think it is kind of um, it is like a really cool idea to have your TypeScript that 
communicates with your GraphQL and all of that provides some sort of uh, validation layer that you can have on the runtime. Yeah, I, and, and like this is because TypeScript is so new. Um, well, I guess it's not that new, but because TypeScript is so new, I'll say that this, this is just the beginning. Like, I think a lot of people are going to be into stuff like this when they start digging into how valuable strongly typed JavaScript is, which like sounds crazy. People from five years ago are like yelling at me, like, why? This is nuts. Don't do this. But yeah. I think it's pretty cool. I know you're a fan of TypeScript, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like uh, my, my little pet project here. Yeah, I am a fan of JS docs. I don't think I would do, I don't think I would use something like that myself. But that's fine. It's not for you. Yeah, I mean, it could just be like I'm not in the right uh, application that needs it. So yeah, yeah. I think de like depending on the backends that you're interacting with. Yeah. Like, if if you're dealing with like stable APIs, this is absolutely pointless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was if I was in a company where we had a very influx API and influx front end. And I was like working on both of those or mm -hmm. something like that. I could I could see a world where I could use it. Um, In a world. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for chatting. And uh, I guess we'll catch you next time. Bye.